0: Today's program is part of a special series brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and every neighborhood partnership with funding provided by ACEs Aware. Together we are working to raise awareness about the effects of adverse childhood experiences in hopes of building a healthier community and a brighter future for our children. Dr. B explains the importance of acknowledging our stressors of the past in order to thrive in the present. Plus, she shares practical tips for coping through challenging times and building greater resiliency so you and your family can enjoy a healthier and more fulfilling life.
1: Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B. Where
2: we explore human resiliency
0: and learn how people thrive even after adversity.
2: We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable.
1: It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today.
2: What makes you tick?
0: Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out.
2: Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B everybody. It's Dr. B and Seth Creekmore, my new co-host for Delusional Optimism. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about what toddlers need 24 months to 36 months, the me, my, mine stage. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you just want to know more about me, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. All right, let's get started.
1: Everyone, it's Seth Creekmore, the co-host for the Delusional Optimism Podcast, and we are here once again with Dr. B. We are talking about 24 months to 36 months, that toddler age, one of the funner ages. Uh, What's your favorite memory, Dr. B? Uh, about this age with one of your kids or your grandkids or something like that?
2: Oh my goodness. Okay. So truth be told, I could live with toddlers forever. They're my favorite age. (laughs) I love toddlers. I love to talk to toddlers. I think they're hilariously funny and they are by far probably in some ways, one of the most difficult phases of life that people struggle with. So let me think of a period where, oh, I have a great story. My daughter and my oldest son are five years apart. And then my youngest son is nine years from his older brother. So this was when Lainey was just a toddler. So she was just probably barely two. And in the morning, Joe was at school and Lainey and I were at home doing something in the kitchen. And I opened the refrigerator door and a jar of pickles fell out of the out of the refrigerator and hit my foot and I said, "Oh shit." And so, being my most vocal verbal child, Lainey, even as a baby, as a toddler, she looked at me and she said, "Oh shit." And I thought, oh my gosh, I am in so much trouble because this baby is going to now go around saying that. So I just said, no, no, no. Oh, shirt. Mama's going to put on a shirt, this shirt or whatever. And I tried to just kind of like gloss it over. So later in the day, we went and we picked up, Joe was in the car, uh, their dad was in the car, and we had to stop and get a loaf of bread. So... Eric jumped out of the car to go buy a loaf of bread. And I could see him at the cash register. And all of a sudden, Lainey says, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. (laughs) And she's singing this in the back of the car. And I say, oh, no, 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 baby. Oh, shirt. It... Where's your shirt? Show mama your shirt. And so I'm trying to distract her, thinking in my head, oh my gosh, their dad's (laughs) going to get in the car and the baby's going to be cussing.
1: Yeah. And
2: Joe, who is very literal and five and a half, six at the time, no, he's probably six and a half at the time. And he says, Mm -hmm. no, mom, no, she's saying shit. Shit, not shirt, shit. And he so he's clarifying for me in this in the back, and which only makes the baby say it more because he's reinforcing yeah. it. And I'm sitting there My thinking, goodness. you are a terrible mother. You have two children in the back of the car cussing, and their dad is innocently in that store buying bread, thinking, You know, he has these darling babies in the car. And so that's my story of you know, (laughs) toddler toddler talk and how they can just they can take you down a rabbit hole so fast you don't Mm. even know what's gone what's happened.
1: Just little sponges. My goodness.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yes. All right. So what do we need to know about this age?
2: Well, we do need to know that imitation is a cornerstone of toddlerhood. So monkey see, monkey do. If you do it, they're probably going to do it. So if you don't want them to say shit, be careful. (laughs) Be careful. (laughs) And there's a whole lot of other words and things that people say. Mm -hmm. Just because babies don't speak expressive language very well at two years old or even, you know, in that beginning of one to two to three, They are listening because expressive language Mm. and receptive language are two totally different things. So what we can hear and understand is a much bigger library than what we can actually say and explain to somebody else. And that's true from the beginning of life. So if you think about babies and what they're listening to and understanding... But they can't say out loud, you know, mama, it scares me when you yell at daddy or you yell at the dog or whatever. Hmm. But they can think that, they know what that is in their mind or Mm -hmm. they hear how things sound if they're angry or loving and they can distinguish that. So we're really communicating with littles at this age through their emotional system, more so than their language system. But toddlers are, for the first time, differentiating from their parents. So that means stepping away. They want to do things on their own and be independent, but yet they're really not very competent (laughs) at anything. And they need a (laughs) lot of help, but they don't want your help. So they say, no, 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 all the time. And we have to start to really appreciate and celebrate our children saying no to us at this period because it means they're on track. It means they're doing what they're supposed to be doing at this age. And being able to say no and mean it is an important skill for everyone to have. And think about how terrible a lot of us grow up to be at saying no, I'm not going to do that. Mm. No, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. No, you shouldn't do that. So we want to appreciate and celebrate this, even though it's a frustrating period of time.
1: All right, so what are some like realistic examples and, and experiences that you've had with your kids or otherwise that would be helpful in this situation
2: so realistic examples are so varied across families across just different cultural groups religious groups ethnic groups not every family does everything the same way and that's beautiful Like, I want to be really clear that just because I have a story about my family doesn't mean that that's how it should look in your family or my way is the right way. There's lots of right ways. So please be sure to engage with me somewhere if you have a question that looks different than my example. That's the first thing Mm -hmm. I want to say because there's lots of right ways of doing things and there's lots of wrong ways of doing things. And trust me, I've done them. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) from the two and three perspective, at the beginning of toddlerhood at twos, really, you know, it starts a little before that, but they're very, very much wanting to be autonomous and be, you know, in charge of their own life. Well, we know they're not capable of that. By the time we move into three and closer to three, they're starting to get a new, they're starting to move into a new phase. So think, remember the slice of bread? They're kind of shifting into the next slice of bread and they're becoming more social. They're more socially aware that other people exist in the world and are impacted by things they do. That doesn't mean yeah. don't get confused that they care <laughs> that they impact you <laughs> because they don't. They don't have a frontal cortex, you know, rational thinking. So they're not really all that concerned about it. And yet at the same time, toddlers and three-year-olds really do have a lot of empathy and are willing to, and compa- like they will lovingly help with the baby, and you know, a baby sibling or the dog or the puppy or the kitty or even the, you know, mama needs help or daddy needs help or, you know, whoever, mm-hmm. your friend needs some help. So will you help them? Yeah, they want to be helpers, but they want to do it on their own terms. Sound like anybody we know? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we kind of all do this. So right. they don't have the capacity we have to actually think it through and see that it's a good idea to do something or not do it. They just do mm. it if they want to or not. So it's, 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 it's almost like a jagged rock. And then as we go through more and more stages, it's going through different levels of being smoothed over. And they're refining their capacity mm to be more empathetic or more responsive Mm -hmm. to other people's social needs. But at the beginning, Mm -hmm. which is two, they are literally like shards of glass.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How do you compassionately help your child that doesn't realize that they're affecting their sibling in a particular way? How can a parent actually engage the child?
2: This is a big topic and we're going to have a sibling conversation, especially as kids get older. But um, sibling aces like adverse childhood experiences that are caused between siblings are really actually Mm. much higher than people would imagine. Siblings can be highly abusive to each other in a lot of different ways and that can be very troubling and gets written off a lot of times as just oh kids being kids no 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 that is not the case but we're going to talk about that in a different episode but in terms of littles so i had you know there's nine years between my big boys my big boy and my little boy so eli was eli was probably a toddler this is kind of a funny toddler story. And Joe was nine, no, 10 or 11. And Eli, just out of baby excitement at two, ran kind of up behind Lainey who was doing something, and hugged her from behind, but bit her with his teeth on her shoulder. So, I was like, I just love you, mm-hmm. and bit down on her shoulder, <laughs> and she screamed, and I was, like, horrified, because Eli was not, he's just a super chill baby, and yeah. I said, no, we don't bite, not nice, all these, you know, things, and Joe, at nine, says... Eli, we don't solve our problems with violence, you know, like <laughs> you can hear these words, you know here's the psycho babble mom coming out of the big boy, yeah. you know okay, you got some points there and yeah, um, yeah. and so but that is the sibling, you know things happen dynamically and quickly within sibling groups, so here we have,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, probably 10 five and two and year old children and the toddler bites the five-year-old and the nine-year-old has a big moral opinion about it and (laughs) and you kind of have to respond to everyone's need at the time yeah joe you're right i'm glad you recognize that that's not okay to do Mm -hmm. and it you know so thank you for being a parent and a resiliency force for these little ones protecting your sister and helping your brother understand that that's not okay. Lainey's the yeah. victim. She got bit, you know, so she's right, hurt. Right. We have to attend to her need. But then the toddler is like, no, 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 this is not okay. We don't bite. We don't hurt. Mm. And and even though that then just requires us as parents to be much more diligent when a child is biting, and track them and follow them and give them a different option. I've worked with several infant toddler centers where children are taken mm-hmm. care of. And, you know, whenever you put a bunch of toddlers together, when they don't have words, that frustration comes out as biting a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So, some strategies for that is to either take a wet washcloth and say, You can bite on this, but you cannot bite on people. Because remember, receptive language, they can hear and understand that even though they can't say, I'm so pissed that you took my toy. (laughs) I'm going to bite you. So we can give them something and give them a a way of handling it. Mm. But you have to be close. You don't want the biter to get close to the kid who's going to get bit. You need to be ready to interject. But if we do that, we Mm. can slow that kind of, you know, Behavior that's really typical at that age group because it's related to frustration, not being able to get my words out. And so I just react in a really primal way. Eli didn't bite Laney because he was mad. He was just overly excited and it came out, you know, I mean, it can come out any way at all when you're just, you know, you don't know how to say what you want to say. So you just bite or hit or do something that's, that's not appropriate and toddlers are like the superheroes of that game that's pretty much all they mm. do is bite, hit, kick, <laughs> scream, throw themselves yeah. throw themselves on the floor in, you know, complete hysteria cuz they can't have what they wanted instantly. <laughs> they right. could have it in 5 yeah, minutes, yeah. but no, it's not right this instant. So we're like They've lost their mind.
1: So it's really, as a parent, it's about teaching them, would you call it just emotional regulation or just how to express your emotions in a more healthy way? and
2: really not expecting them to learn it in that period of time. You're just modeling it for Mm. them because they're not going to bring it online in their own brain for years down the road. So we have to tolerate, this is that leave a life print thing again is, we're setting up all the codes early on, but they're not gonna mm. be turned on until later down the road.
1: Creating systems, habits, and yep. patterns.
2: Systems, habits and patterns. Yeah. And at toddlerhood, we can't create the systems, habits, and patterns all at once. We're just setting the stage right. for later down the road. Now, mm. if we if we translate this into an adverse childhood experience environment where let's say a toddler is in a crib and overhearing maybe a domestic dispute between parents in another room, mm-hmm. parents believe that the baby doesn't understand because the baby can't talk and, you know, really understand that. However, remember, the baby is taking it all in on a receptive level. They can't use words to explain their fear. So it, it manifests as anxiety, fear, terror, scared. And nobody's there for them this is how pre-verbal children take in scary information and adults aren't doing it purposefully they think they're protecting the baby because the baby's right. in the other room and don't realize that that has a really big impact on the baby and does a couple of different things one the conflicted relationship the baby has between loving both people that are yet hurting each yeah. other that's that's yeah. a big conflict so how does the baby manage that as well as the baby grows up if those if those feelings are never dealt with and that conflicted relationship with the mom or the other parent whoever it is are not dealt with, then those ghosts are going to get carried on into that baby's adult life. Mm. The adult won't necessarily have a very good historical recollection because they were a baby, a toddler, you know, they were little, they don't have the words. They just know when something scary happens, I have this overwhelming fear, terror, that has roots in that kind of an experience domestic violence or abuse of somebody else or maybe being left alone and abandoned or whatever it is some you know any of the aces there's you know there's 10 on the screening but there's a million in real life and so with families who work with foster children or children who come to them through adoption who have early experiences that are maybe not even known, it's really important to one, as the, as the parent, to try to understand the early experience of the child. And then when you see this reaction that's maybe not congruent with the situation or not consistent with what the reaction should be, you can say, oh wow i think you're having a similar reaction to something that was really scary when you were a baby i'm here to calm you though i'm i'm here to take care of you now so some of those things can get experiences of early toddlerhood can get thrown into childhood and adolescence and even adulthood without words just feelings Again, we always come back to, you know, optimism and resilience and how does this all fit together? And toddlerhood can be a frustrating period for for parents and for children. But if we understand the purpose of this period of life and how it really serves us well later in life, then we can maximize this period and, and, and enjoy the... Really, the humor that comes at this period of time. Just stepping away from a toddler who f- throws themselves mm-hmm. on the floor and, you know, is tantruming over something that is, you know, pretty much a zero, but for them yeah. it's big. We not laugh at them, but either pick them up, hold them, and say, you know, I know you're having really big feelings about this, but I'm here for you and you can just. You know, let that go or just let them have their feelings and know that as soon as you're it's over, it'll be over. And for them, it really is over. Right. So as parents, don't carry it on to the next mm. day. Don't carry it on to 30 more days down the road. Remember that this is this is how children are like it happens, whatever the consequences are, or the consequences. And then we're moving on. Right. And that's not yeah. a bad thing. I like to say close the loop of, neg- of anything mm. that happens, positive or negative. We start whatever the interaction is. It plays out however it plays out. But if we leave it in a breach or we leave it open, it's like a festering wound. Mm. We always want to come back and close the loop so that we're on the same page and then we can move forward wow. together
1: just relating it to our own adult selves. Like it's the the reason why we keep coming back to specific situations is because we haven't fully dealt, we haven't fully felt the situation and the things that were triggered within us.
2: Yeah. We'll talk another second about this toddler period and parents who maybe are really struggling because their own childhood was traumatic and difficult and this just activates them all mm-hmm. the time. Because children who are raised by parents who just react to behavior constantly in a, you know, in an abusive way or an unemotional way can get highly activated by the next generation mm-hmm. of babies and do the same thing. But what we want to know, what we want to do to support parents in that situation, and we need to get parents support in this situation at this mm-hmm. time. So they don't do the things that are harmful and cause adverse childhood experiences, but instead can recognize and grieve the pain of their childhood or their experience rather than push it off onto their baby mm-hmm. or their young child. And so that's where we come into what's called parent infant mental health and looking at not carrying the conflicts of the past into future relationships. So those those are like the ghosts of earlier experiences that an adult might have had, that then they carry on into their children's Mm -hmm. lives. And toddlerhood and early adolescence are two times when that really happened significantly because they're very activated stages of development. And because development repeats itself, toddlers often, well, not often, always repeat that similar developmental pattern when they become 12 or 13. Hmm. So whatever you do in this period, you are laying the foundation for how it's going to play out again when you get a second chance in early adolescence. So it behooves us all to try to do the best we can and get as much support as we can the first time around, because it will pay off again when our children hit early, early adolescence and puberty. You know, some actionable takeaways, one, Hold on to your humor. Like, this is an opportunity to just hang on to it, find Mm -hmm. it, look for it, search for it. If you need a break, take a break. Always, you know, take a breath, count to 10, walk away, get somebody, make sure that you have a circle of support. And if you don't, it's okay to just, if you're going to, you know, harm your child or Mm. leave your child for a second and shut yourself in the bathroom. That's the choice. Mm. It's you're not gonna destroy your child forever. It, yeah, it's a better choice to step away, take a breath, call a hotline, get somebody else in there if you can, and in order to get reset. Mm-hmm. But parenting is the hardest thing in the world that anybody is ever gonna do. Yeah. It's also, It's also fun and enjoyable at times. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But not always. Sometimes people say, like, oh my gosh, what was I Mm. thinking? You know, and I had three of these things, like, what was I really thinking? It is a journey where we're learning about ourselves and our children in parallel. Right. But yet, but we are responsible for them. And we need to be the guides that we chose to be by parenting them. And sometimes if we have to shift that to somebody else in a, in a parenting, foster, adoptive situation, make that choice. That is one of the things that I say, always have said to my oldest son is that your biological mom did the best thing that she ever could have done for you, which was let you be adopted by somebody who had the capacity at the time to take care of you the way you needed to be taken care of. And so that's a huge gift. She was a guide for him in that Mm -hmm. sense. And at that period of time in history, he could have wallowed in foster care for his whole life if she hadn't agreed. Mm -hmm. So she didn't give him away, she gave him a life.
1: Such an important distinction.
2: Yes. And so what we want to say to parents who are struggling with children with, in foster care with a lot of trauma or in a, even through adoptive relationships are, you know, we need to really re, remold our perspective and thinking that it's all the same. They just came into the family the same way and everything's mm. all the same. It's not no. the same. And it's okay to look at it differently. It doesn't mean that you love your children differently. Well, we do love our children differently, let's mm-hmm. be honest. It doesn't mean we love one more or less. We love our children the way they need to be loved. That's what we do. That's the most loving thing. Mm-hmm. If I love Joe exactly the way I love Eli, neither one of them would get what they needed from right. me because they're they're very different. And at the same time, I adore both of them and to death.
1: One of my friends says like, each child, they, they trigger me differently. They teach me different things and I treasure them differently. And, and it's, it's gonna look different from child to child. And,
2: and they're never the same child. Mm. Like you have one and you think, oh, my next child's gonna be you know, the same. I got some experience here. Oh, heck no. <laughs> they're gonna do every single thing the first child did not do just to confuse yeah, of you. of course. <laughs> and they do that. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. The firstborn child's role is taken. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So why would you do that? I'm going to be the second born child or I'm going to be the girl child or the boy, whatever. I'm going to be the different child. Then you get number three coming along and they're like, they're a whole different category. Mm. So this idea that you're going to get all these kids who are the same from the same (laughs) parents is just ridiculous. So, yeah, it's not um, the same at all. Awesome. So, you can't prepare for it, so don't try, except in the places where it does make Mm -hmm. sense. Understanding, having a sense of humor, Mm -hmm. and rolling with the punches that come with life, but always staying connected Mm -hmm. and closing those loops.
1: And once again, just doing your own work.
2: Doing your own work. Yeah. Yes. What a great model for children to have parents who are willing to do their own work and adults in their lives who are willing to have those mm-hmm. conversations mm-hmm. about doing their work because it models for them what we didn't exactly. have. Exactly.
1: So wow, wonderful, wonderful conversation. Any uh, any final words? Yeah.
2: No, just, I love you and go out and leave a life print, gift resiliency where you can. And thanks so much, Seth. We will be with you next time. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print.
0: Thank you for listening to this special episode of Delusional Optimism, brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership. We hope you're encouraged by Dr. B's message and find her tips helpful for managing life stressors and building a more resilient self. For more episodes in this special series, please visit St. Agnes Medical Center's website at www.samc.com. This episode is produced and published by the editing team at Truthwork Media. TruthWork Media is a full-fledged podcasting and social media agency located in South Bend, Indiana with clients all around the world. For more information, visit them at truthworkmedia.com. These materials and all discussions of these materials are for educational purposes only and do not constitute medical or mental health advice. The presenter is not a licensed mental health or medical service provider. If you need medical or mental health care or advice, you should contact your doctor or therapist or you can contact your insurance company for a referral. This show and all of its contents are copyright 2020 Dr. B. Leave a Life print. Reproduction or use requires written consent of Dr. Kristen Beasley.